Welcome to the New School at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a very special presentation by Walter Murch, followed by a conversation hosted by Michael Lerner. This is part two of our three-part series titled Bode's Law Redux. New evidence confirms 18th century conjecture on orbital harmonies. So we looked at Jupiter and its moons, and Saturn uh, has a a hired uh, number of moons larger than 200 kilometers, and it turns out that five of them fit Titch's bode. And if we start with two of them in the middle, uh, which are correspond to the Venus-Earth relationship, um, giving us a beta of approximately 213,000 uh, uh, kilometers. Then, and we plug that number in, uh, we get this uh, pretty close agreement. And there's a moon further out that, sure enough, fits nicely. Uh, where Ceres would be in the in the solar system, the the leaving a gap uh, for the so-called Mars orbit. And now, uh, very interestingly, uh, there's another moon which fits inward of Venus, and another moon which fits even further inward of Venus, within, um, in one case, very close, 100% uh, slightly over, uh, and slightly under 102%. And if we look at those orbits, which we saw earlier, those virtual orbits inward of Venus, and now imagine that we're looking at kind of a superimposer of Saturn, Saturn's orbits and the Earth's uh, and the Sun's orbits, Dione is uh, a moon of Saturn that fits in the Venus orbit, but Tethys and Enceladus, Enceladus has been in the news recently because it's a prime category candidate for uh, liquid water, Um, but these fall within, you know, a percent uh, of of these predicted virtual orbits, um, which in a way is a confirmation of that hypothesis that we made uh, a little earlier about these unoccupied orbits. Now they're beginning to be occupied. And if we look at all of these moons together, we can again play the, the music. Four, four don't fit. Uh, we'll discover something about why they don't fit, but for the time we're just setting them aside on the sort of uh, the detention class. <laughs> uh, Uranus has five moons. Uh, four of them fit Titius Bode, which is a high, pretty high percentage. And uh, one of them uh, fits another of these unoccupied orbits, Miranda, with 100% accuracy. And if we, again, look at that drawing we just saw and now add uh, Ariel, which is the Venus equivalent, and now Miranda is occupying an orbit that is unoccupied both in our solar system and in the Saturn system, but uh, in Uranus system it is occupied.
And Oberon is the renegade uh, here, and we'll add it to the list. And last, uh, Neptune has four that fit, and um, one that's way out in the distance, uh, fitting within three and a half percent. And so the three inner moons uh, are the equivalent of Venus, Earth, Mars. But if we go way out, and n at the sixth value is, uh, five is where Pluto, we would expect to find a Pluto equivalent. So th this is another orbit out beyond Pluto. And it is the most uh, elliptical orbit in the solar system. It's uh, not, a, not at all circular. It's, it's this kind of egg-shaped, highly elliptical orbit. Um, and that is a uh, good clue that it's a captured object, that um, we're, we're out here, we're very close to what's known as the Cooper Belt, which is an uh, area of asteroids that's surrounding Pluto. And one of these, we're hypothesizing, got uh, knocked out and somehow came into orbit around uh, Neptune. Neptune's gravity captured it. But because it's captured, it's this highly elliptical orbit. It's just barely holding on. Um, and it is irregularly shaped near it. It's if you, you know, our, our dim images of it are of something that is not truly spherical. So, and what that implies is that Bode's law is dynamic in the sense that something that comes from outside at a later point uh, than formation gets captured and eventually lines up in one of these uh, undulations in, in our so-called uh, landscape. Uh, so it's, it's very provocative, uh, the, both the existence of Nereid as being so far out and the fact that it nonetheless corresponds to uh, Bode's law. Uh, two Neptunes moons don't fit. Mars has two uh, small moons, which also seem to be captured asteroids. Uh, they're only like 10 kilometers wide, 20 kilometers wide. So they don't really fit with this, uh, you know, we, we made this arbitrary cutoff point, but in the case of Mars, we're allowing them uh, free passage. Uh, but nonetheless, they do fit uh, Bode's uh, law very accurately. Um, <laughs> Um, again, not, not uh, if, if we take away the 200-kilometer uh, cutoff point, Saturn has a whole raft of inner moons uh, just beyond the uh, ring system. And if we apply Bode's law to them, we get this 100 100.1, 100.1, 99.5, 100.18, uh, 99.2, 100% alignment. Uh, of these uh, small moons, uh, small inner moons of uh, Saturn. And we find the same thing about Uranus's inner moons. Um, again, very high alignment. 
but the 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 so-called Bode number, uh, this uh, you know the 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 power that we're raising uh, the formula to is in negative numbers here. So it's uh, we're, we're right down in the the kind of the fine structure of these these uh, orbits that are getting uh, more and more close to each other. Uh, so this also is very provocative um, for the, th the theory. And if we then look at the big objects uh, collectively, 27 out of the 36 fit Titius Bode to a tolerance of a few percent or less. What's also interesting is that in each system, there is an object occupying the, the so-called Earth orbit. Uh, and this was an unexpected discovery that I made. I didn't, I had, didn't know this. I didn't have any reason to suspect this. Nonetheless, it, if you apply this uh, to the uh, theory, this is what happens. So uh, I, by representing this graphically, uh, that the previous uh, spreadsheet, we see that when there's a kind of bell-shaped curve that when n is minus 1, it's very fertile. That orbit is very fertile, and it, the fertility drops off on either side of that. If we look at it on the side, we may see a reason for it, uh, which is that uh, the fraction representing those orbits are extremely simple in the middle, and they get more complex up and down. So that the uh, Venus-Earth-Mars orbits are represented by fractions with single digits, uh, allowing the number 10 to creep in there. Uh, 7 over 10, uh, 10 over 7, 8 over 5, 7 over 4. And the more complicated the fraction, uh, the less populated it is. So it... You know, we, we might talk about this uh, in the questions afterward. What does this mean? Uh, what are the implications of Earth being in a fertile, uh, super fertile orbit? Let me jump ahead here for a second. Um, Okay, so there are our renegades. Uh, the, these are the bad bad boys of uh, the class. Uh, let's see if there's something that unites them in their badness. And um, if we represent them, uh, uh, our known planets graphically, uh, as if it was all part of one system, this is what we see. So there's this grouping of planets around the, uh, the a potential orbit, um, with Venus and Mars being kind of outliers, but everything else tucked in nicely. Uh, and then the moons also have this clustering around the orbit. So th this is representing, uh, in a collective way, how far off these, these objects are from where Bode said they should be. So there's a real... Uh, there's a kind of strange attractor going on here, and if we take a wide view of it, uh, we can see, if you, if you can see something that small, how clumpy it is uh, around these or orbits. And here are the renegades, which are similarly clumped around the midpoint, the 50% point. 
and there are the, the five renegades that, that do fit. There are four that don't fit. Um, anyway, here, here it is looking at them. Uh, Neptune is midway, more or less, between Pluto and uh, Uranus. Uh, Titan is midway between Hyperion and an unoccupied so-called Mars orbit. So it does. They don't need to be bracketed by anything physical. That they're they're there in uh, this kind of virtual uh, statistical space. Uh, Oberon also is bracketed, but the emptiness is on the outside. Um, and Io is bracketed by two unoc completely unoccupied orbits. Uh, and uh, Galatea is bracketed by two occupied orbits. Uh, and if we do a spreadsheet, we see that if we allow this midpoint conception in, um, it is pretty accurate, uh, uh, a, a way of uh, examining it. it, it's, it it's important to uh, grab the concept, uh, which I don't, may not have time to get into detail on, but a midpoint is simply uh, each orbit is double the previous orbit, and when something is hitting the midpoint, it means that for some peculiar reason, it isn't doubling. It's just iterating the same orbit as the inner one. So you're, you're just going, oops, we, we just went one click rather than we're supposed to go twice each time, but we, for some reason, we only went once. So uh, it, uh, these are the four that are still renegades. They don't, uh, uh, they don't fit this theory. Um, but they do fit kind of the midpoint of the midpoint. Uh, we're, we're getting on kind of thin oxygen here conceptually um, because how far can you go with this? Uh, but I'm just making note of it. Anyway, uh, let me start to conclude by talking about uh, Mr. Lineweaver and Tim Bovert, his graduate student. Uh, they just published an article at the beginning of February, which was one of the things that triggered this event. Uh, because it was published in the Royal uh, Monthly Notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, so it's a peer-reviewed article. Uh, and uh, you know, typically these are very dense uh, scientific articles. But if you just look at the head, it says using the inclinations of the Kepler system, meaning the Kepler uh, telescope that we saw earlier to prioritize new Titius Bode-based exoplanet predictions. Uh, this is, uh, you know, for, for outsiders, it's like, well, okay, but for people in astronomical circles, for somebody serious to word, write the words Titius Bode in a peer-reviewed paper is a real breakthrough. Um, and here are some of their diagrams, which I... Um, won't go into, uh, but it's applying their version of the law to um, uh, the the exoplanet systems. They claim uh, an 86% uh, success rate that exoplanet systems, where there are four or more uh, exoplanets around a star, that in 86% of those cases it fits a Bode, a Titius Bode uh, formula, and they predict 
you should find a planet here. This is back to that Mendeleev thing. Uh, there should be something here, there should be something here, and they're uh, getting a 5% hit rate there, which, depending on your uh, point of view, is either very low or very high. Uh, seeing planets with, seeing especially small planets with Kepler telescope is very difficult. There are the, this paper goes into great detail about what, what do we do about seeing these things, uh, because the planet has to actually cross the the face of the star. It, it can't orbit above or below the star. It ha we just have to be lucky to hit it. So from this point of view, 5% is pretty good. There's another paper by uh, people from Cornell, I believe, uh, Huang and Bacos, that came out subsequent to an earlier paper by Lineweaver that said this is not significant. Um, and the paper in February was a response to Huang and Bacos's paper saying it is significant and, by the way, we've improved uh, the detection and now we're up to 15%. Um, so this is a, a battle of the bands now. Um, but what, what's fascinating about it is that the battle is being waged on Titius Bode turf, uh, which again is a big breakthrough to even begin to have this argument rather than to say, we dismiss it outright, or even more so until recently, we won't even accept a paper based on this uh, uh, topic. Um, so their formula, and I'll just go through it briefly, is what they call a generalized Titius Bode, and it looks extremely simple. Uh, uh, I'll explain these numbers, again, compared to my formula, which is a little more complicated, but not too much. Uh, in their case, the, the A represents the distance of, we're, we're looking at A system, and A represents the distance from the, uh, from the star of the innermost planet. And in this case, let's say there are four planets, so this A is the distance to the first, uh, and then there are subsequently more from that. C is a floating number, and it's a constant uh, for each system and they determine it experimentally. So this is really, uh, from a certain point of view, it's kind of loose, because Bode says that number should be two. Uh, and it seems to be true for the solar system, uh, that this idea of the doubling orbits. What they're seeing and claiming is that if we abandon that and we just say, here's a system, if we uh, curve fit and, and experimentally adjust the value of C until we get a fit, and then we raise that number to various powers, then we get this agreement. So they've, they've, um, they, they have a very high success rate in fitting, uh, but they achieve that high success rate by relaxing the formula, by what they call generalizing it. Where the truth is uh, will be uh, fully determined, uh, no doubt, within the next five years or ten years, or because the data is now coming in so fast that we will begin to see uh, that there is a pattern, in fact, and what the exact dimensions of the pattern. It may be that they are correct, and it may be that the value of C for our system, and much more intriguingly, for the systems within our system, is two. Um, and that's just, that's like the fingerprint of our solar system is two. That system over there, it's 1.54. For that over system, it's one point whatever. So 
uh, as an experiment, I uh, here it could be anything, uh, and n they define as starting at zero, one, two, three, four. Interestingly, it's like Titius's old values for n, except for the minus infinity part. Um, so, out of interest, let's plug in some numbers. Uh, if Let's say uh, the value of A was 2.2 astronomical units. And for this, whatever system it was, C we determined was 1.54. And N uh, is uh, 0, 1, 2, 3. Uh, then we would get orbits at this distance from the, from the star, 2.2, 3.4, 5.2, 8.0. There would be music, uh, and this would be musically the same as A, E, C, and G, and here it is. If you changed it to some other value, You'd get these notes. So I'll conclude by a uh, just say that I have. Uh, extended Bode's law to some of the exoplanets that uh, were discovered and trivially for some of the two-planet systems there is a Titius-Bode agreement with those highlighted uh, numbers. Uh, so each of these things, BD082823, is a star that has an exoplanet system with two planets in it. And if it's been highlighted, it fits Titius-Bode within a few percent. Um, this is what it would look like, uh, many of them, with this 1.6 arrangement, which is the uh, Earth-Mars, or in that same ratio. Uh, there's an intriguing one, uh, a double star, H.W. Virginis, uh, and double stars are very problematical for planet formation, but nonetheless, that they have two planets uh, which fit very closely to the Earth-Venus orbits within a couple of percent. Of the three planet systems, there's a pretty high hit. Uh, these, the number of three planet systems now is much, much higher than when I prepared these slides, but this gives you a kind of probably a statistical representation of how Titius Bode, and this is the Titius Bode with the value of two in it. So we're, we're clearly in a kind of a dialogue here between uh, Lineweaver's formula and uh, this, my formula. And so you get this kind of agreement. Uh, the star we saw at the beginning, HD 8799, is within a couple, within a percent. And that's Earth-Mars series. Uh, 
And there's another star uh, which, uh, where the agreement is not quite so high. One of them is uh, over 4% off. But that's Earth-Mars series again. It's kind of a, again, we're, we're getting, you know, this, the, the, the fertility of these orbits is very high, whether we're looking at our own system or exoplanet systems, that these ratios are, are you know, friendly ratios. And we can maybe talk uh, in questions about that. But here is a star where we're very far out, Ceres, Saturn, and Pluto. And we get um, like a 2.5% uh, agreement, 3% agreement. And uh, another one, um, which is uh, reflecting the, the, the orbits of the moons of Jupiter. But it's a star with planets in those same orbits. And yet another one. Again, this is very far out, Venus, Saturn, Neptune, 2% agreement. And uh, yet another one, Mars, Jupiter, Pluto, about as far out as you can get. But Pluto, that, that star is like a 99% agreement. This is actually a very close agreement, even though they're quite far out. Uh, there's a new, there's a planet in there that's a, uh, a rogue that doesn't fit. Uh, it's not at a midpoint, it, it just is not fitting. And um, with that, I'm going to leave you. Uh, thank you very much for your attention. And uh, let's uh, go on to questions. You've been listening to part two of our three-part series, with Walter Murch, hosted by Michael Lerner. Thank you for joining us at the New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kira Epstein. Our audio engineer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Chiani. Please visit our website at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on Facebook 